Kreuzo, which is welcome in Welsh. Haven't actually done Welsh before. That's very odd. But welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator and the host of the podcast. And I welcome you every episode in a different language. Today just randomly was Welsh. I just do that for something, I don't know, random. I haven't had anybody yell at me for that yet, so I'm going to keep on doing it every episode. Today I'm here with a very cool guest, a very unique backstory and story for this coming to fruition with myself and Matt Darwin. Matt actually reached out to me some months ago as a listener of the podcast and said, hey, I've never heard anybody tell blank story to you before. And I have that situation going on in my life. Would you like to talk about it? Of course, I said absolutely yes. And during the time that we were kind of talking about, let's do this and let me get my equipment out to you so we can record, uh, that situation changed. And you'll hear about this. I'm not going to give away the farm, but that situation changed. And we said, yes, absolutely. We're still going to talk about this because now you have an even different perspective on it. So really cool to have that kind of a situation where it's a listener saying, I would like to be on if you're into it. So maybe an encouragement to a lot of you, you may have a cool story to tell yourself. I know that I always say, if you know anybody or whatever, and I do try to specify if that person is you reach out. But again, a reminder, if that person is you, <laughs> reach out to me. And you can do that by emailing me at daddyunscripted at gmail.com or hitting me up on social media, which is Daddy Unscripted on all of the platforms, basically. Before I go too far, I have a couple of things to tell you about. First, I want to tell you about a very proud sponsor of the Daddy Unscripted podcast, which is Harry's. Harry's Razors. You guys, maybe I'm assuming a lot of you know about this company already. I have ordered from them before. And for whatever reason, I just stopped. No good reason whatsoever. And now that I heard about them again, I jumped on it immediately because I remembered how pleasurable the experience was in all aspects. So I'm speaking to you as a genuine customer of Harry's. And this is like at the perfect time right now, because in the time of quarantine and shelter at home and whatnot, I'm assuming you guys aren't going out to the store to get a razor. And some of you may be growing your beards because of this. But for those of you who don't like growing beards, or if you're like me and you're an essential worker and wearing a beard with a mask doesn't always work out that great... Harry's razors. So Harry's is super convenient. You get the blade refills delivered directly to your door on your schedule, whether you have a subscription or not. They are really prompt with their delivery. So if you put in an order, you should be getting it within just a couple of days, a few days to your house directly. Again, for me, I've used Harry's in the past. And now that I'm back on them, I'm so excited because the razors are great. 
They are super high quality. They're not the high school. I don't know about you guys. If you ever have this situation, you may not have because I had is- I have issues. I have, I have many issues. If you're a regular listener, you know that about me. But I grew hair early. <laughs> like I was in seventh grade. I had basically a full freaking mustache. And I even had like chest hair coming out of my friggin' shirts when I was in seventh grade. So for me, I went to a small private school, which we talk about our schooling in this episode with Matt. But at my private school, you could not have facial hair if you were a student. And so the punishment, if you came to school with any stubble at all, If your teacher turned you in, you had to go down to the office and they gave you one of those freaking torture devices of a disposable razor that either had a single blade or maybe two. And I don't know if you've ever shaved with one of those things, but you come out of there looking like you tripped and fell face first into a lawnmower. Like... It's just one of those things that is not nice to your skin. Whether you're young, whether you're old, they are freaking cutting you up. It's horrible. So Harry's razors are not like that in any way, shape, or form. They are the multiple blade razors. They have the comfort strip on them. Everything is great about their razor quality. Their prices are very low. These are affordable. They're coming right to your house. Like, what more do you want? You're getting incredibly high-quality blades at factory direct prices shipped right to you. So here's a couple of really cool things. You have a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, you let them know, and they will give you a full refund. 1% of their proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better healthcare for men and veterans. Super cool about the company. Now, here is the exclusive offer for you Daddy Unscripted listeners. Listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com backslash daddy. And this is what you're going to get in that trial set. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip. You'll get a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. You'll get a rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated. And you get a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So go to harrys.com backslash daddy to start shaving better today. An actual ad actually read by me and actually read by somebody who has used the product. I don't know if you do that, but when I'm listening to podcasts or whatever, seeing the commercials on TV with celebrities, I'm always wondering, like, what kind of schlock are you selling me and why? But I can tell you from experience, I've used these blades. No joke. I used to use them when I used to travel for work all the time. So now that I've gotten that out of the way, I will remind you that Daddy Unscripted is a very proud member of Osiris Media. Check out OsirisPod.com to see all the other awesome podcasts that are a part of the Osiris family. And I'll tack on that reminder that Osiris partners with Jambase.com. So Jambase.com is where you want to go to find live music when that starts up. But hold on, we got you in the time of COVID still. 
There's tons of artists and bands streaming concerts all the time. So they have a little section right up at the top of their website. Go to jambase.com and they've got a section you can click on to see who is live streaming that day and the rest of that week, etc. So that's a great way for you to keep that little music cup filled in your life. Back on a little bit to Osiris, which Osiris is putting in some great work with some nonprofit organizations. And one of them that really hits home for me and should for a lot of you is called Backline. Right now, we're all very aware that there is a global health crisis that we are facing, and it's threatened the livelihood and mental health of countless musicians. Backline is the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub, and their work is more vital right now than it has ever been before. It was launched in 2019, and it aims to give artists, crew members, their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline is currently hosting virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breathwork sessions. Osiris is very proud to partner with Backline. So here's the little bit for you guys. To donate, learn more, or get in touch for personalized care, go to backline.care on the internet. Find that website backline.care and you can find out how to do a lot of these things with backline to help support musicians because of all that they do for us it's like the circle has come now with an opportunity for us outside of the ways that we give to bands now buying their merch going to their concerts buying their music all of that kind of stuff think about their mental health and what they do what their music does for our mental health And this gives you a little opportunity to pay that back to them, whichever way that's possible for you. So backline.care to find out more about that. Okay, I think I've given you enough of an intro to this episode with Matt. Super cool guy from the East Coast. And I'm just going to jump right in because I can't wait for you guys to hear some of these stories and to hear about what we end up getting into where his life is currently and the massive respect I have for he and his wife and the steps that they are taking to be responsible and proactive with the things that are going on with them and their family right now. So here's my episode with Matt Darwin. All right, we are here today with Matt Darwin is here with us today. Matt is a one of my favorite conversion types. Matt, you would be if you were to call into the show, you might say like you might not say longtime listener, first time caller, but um, you are a uh, listener turned guest. I am a listener turned guest, and I'm also new to podcasts. I didn't really start listening to podcasts until last summer on Under the Scales. And uh, started listening to Tom Marshall's podcast on fish and was listening to all the way back from his very beginning and kind of started to run out of episodes there um, and branched out into, you know, the two other things that are in my life, both golf and and being a dad. So I found your podcast often. I think I found it on a recommendation through Jambase and uh, a quick listener. That's awesome. 
Well, I appreciate that. And I know um, I was kind of, it is that weird thing. I think it's different than any other, I don't know, I probably should think before I say this out loud, but it feels different than any other medium in that way where it is something new to people when they, you know, it's not like TV or radio or sports or anything like that. Like there is a moment in everybody's life where they are hearing the word podcast for the first time. And now it's, you know, it's very commonplace, obviously, but you're hearing about podcasts. You are dipping your toes in with one or two. And then, yeah, you're doing that thing of like branching out and looking for things that interest you, whatever way that may be. And then you're just kind of either staying at a plateau level or you're exploding into this gigantic world of how many underwater basket weaving podcasts can I subscribe to? Well, I, I haven't gone into the underwater basket weaving <laughs> genre as of yet, but that's Just slowly wait. only because I'm trying to get my skills up to par so I know all the lingo when I get <laughs> It's going to be a lost skill one day, and then you're going to be the expert, and that's how we're all going to retire, right? That's right. I'm going to bring back that, you know, they bring back all of this stuff from the 70s and the 80s. But when I bring back underwater BB stacking, that that's going to sweep the nation. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't really say it, but welcome to the show. Thank you. Much appreciated. Yeah. So you are an attorney out on the East Coast. I don't know what all you want to kind of say about that, but um, what can you tell us about what you do? Yeah, sure. So I actually live in Jersey, uh, but work in Midtown Manhattan. Um, that's about a hour and a half, hour 45 commute each way. Um, but it's pretty par for the course for folks that do what I do. Um, mm. And I work for an investment manager that manages about $70 billion around the globe. And I'm the primary attorney responsible for about half of it. So, wow. yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, if you stop looking at the numbers and ultimately just, you know, keep your mind on what's going on, it's, it's a much easier task at hand. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I, I live literally about five, 10 minutes away from uh, the house that I grew up in. Um, one oh. of the selling points on the house that my wife and I moved into is it's around the corner from the pizza place that I've gone to my entire life. <sighs> Um, <laughs> that's and, great and, and, out, and out here in the tri-state area you know we're pretty finicky on pizza so that was a, a major selling point that i'll make that's sure amazing whenever we sell this house uh, the worst thing ever would be you guys buying that house and then that place going out of business it would be a crying shame <laughs> it, it's been there long before i was born so you know good for them that's great probably not happening then are they so you know, in this time that we are recording, which is April 8th for everybody, which is God, what do you know what week of quarantining you're in? Is it two or three? So I, I actually have a calendar right here. I, I believe mm. that I'm actually in my fourth week of quarantine at this point. And okay. my office basically said, don't even plan on coming back anytime before April 30th. You know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut were kind of 
I think we're amounting to about a third of all of the cases that are here in the States, uh, with New Jersey and New York being uh, the predominant of those three. And then, you know, New Jersey just kind of keeps exploding, especially because mm. for the first couple of weeks, you know, there's a lot of people like myself that commute into the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, New York is basically a, a giant Petri dish when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about that here today and talking about how California's curve, man, like all these terms that you never heard before and now are so like basic and you're hearing them so much. But our curve is is going way, it's not flat, but it's flattening in a much different way. And, you know, where where our peak, I think, was supposed to be about two weeks off, now it's shortened and it's coming like potentially in less than a week. And, you know, I think we've done pretty well as a state. So, so in some areas at social distancing and whatnot to help that. But also we were talking about the difference with, you know, Boston has started jumping off as well. And we're talking about how many people are in a state yet how large that state is and how crowded in like i just can't even i've never been to new york sometime hopefully that will happen but uh i have been to boston and seeing you know how crowded in a a lot of the areas are that's it's easy to understand how like what you said it's a just a big petri dish out there that's exactly right um you know it doesn't really matter what time of day it is. There's a good amount of people on the street, good amount of people in stores. Um, and, you know, when you think about like the working hours and you add all of us commuters into it, it's just, it's something else, um, especially when you're talking about the spread of germs and that type of stuff. Yeah. Social distancing, like a foreign concept on any given day, let alone, you know, in Manhattan. Yeah. And your commute, were you? Um, driving that or taking a train? Uh, so I actually take the bus. Oh, wow. You know, I generally jump on a bus right around 6.30, 6.40 in the morning um, and, you know, try and promptly fall right back asleep. And then generally I'm, I'm leaving Manhattan into the Lincoln Tunnel sometime around 7.45, 8 o'clock as typical. And that puts me home you know, around eight thirty, nine o'clock. And, you know, that it's not counting all the, the walking time. So there it's long days, but ultimately just try and figure out what to do with it. Um, yeah. so in the morning sleeping and at night it's, you know, podcasts like this or during the, the summer season, you know, I can stream Yankee games or things like that, which makes it a little bit more tolerable. Hearing you say Yankee games as I, I'm a huge Red Sox fan, but because I miss baseball so much, like I didn't jump when you said that at all. I just felt pain. <laughs> at, at, at a certain point in time, it, it, it's looking like all of this is going to be the Arizona team, right? Like God. doing it all in one location. So you have the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Arizona Yankees, Arizona Sox. <laughs> it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. I read through that at least what had been posted and i was like God, just just don't do it just send me give all of us an xbox or a playstation with the show 
and let us play <laughs> baseball on our own because it'll be basically some weird version of that that you guys are trying to pull off. Like, and I was saying kind of jokingly, like, what are they going to do with the players? Like, are they going to use every third shower head and every fifth locker only? Like, there, I, I just, I can't imagine trying to do this properly you know what if you're at first base and you've got to cover that guy there's no plays at the plate (laughs) the catcher has to back (laughs) away like what are you what are you doing with all of that i know they said that thing about the umpire being able to back away because they'd use an electronic strike zone or something but right like you still have closeness I, i i don't know NBA, I can see clearly is not happening. Yeah, well, maybe it's like with first base, you know, you you fake a a couple coughs to try and get the runner to move a little bit closer to second to try and set up a pickoff play. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. instead of uh, trash can banging, it's uh, coughing now. (laughs) (laughs) Which in an empty stadium, you'd be able to hear extremely well. So I don't know. I remember watching, I, I think it was maybe the White Sox had this happen or or it was either, the, it feels like it was Chicago or maybe Seattle or something like that. But it, within the last couple of years, um, somebody had to play in an empty stadium and it was, it was eerie. Like it, it was kind of weird and, and I'm not, it wasn't Tampa Bay just because their stadium is almost always empty anyways, but um, <laughs> it was like empty for something i don't remember what it was i'll have to look that up i I remember what you're talking about i kind of want to say it was weather related in the playoffs Mm -hmm. but i could be completely full of it at the same time yeah um so there's uh baseball talk for you every all you sports fans that we got out of the way really quickly you're welcome I I am actually a, a little bit jealous of your commute time because my drive if I don't hit any traffic can be like seven to eight minutes home and which is great for getting home and being home with my family and all of that. But it, it is very difficult for me to, it takes me a while to get through a podcast. Right. Right. No, I, I can appreciate that. You have a lot of start and stop, start and stop and trying to remember where you left off. Yeah. And- I still somehow make it through them. It's, it's my lot in life. So let's go, let's go back. Uh, We heard a little bit about you, which we'll get back to. um, But let's go back into your uh, line to whatever makes sense. Like I usually say, whether that's your grandpa or even further back, why don't you tell us how we get towards Matt Darwin? Sure. So, so while I grew up uh, 10 minutes away from my childhood home, I also happened to grow up 10 minutes away from my father's childhood home where Mm. my grandmother still lives so my father is 72 I want to say my grandmother said that they moved into that house when she was four so she's been in that house for 68 years wow Um, and you know my my father was the second of four kids all of whom are really tight we we lost uh, my father's youngest brother uh, way too early a few years ago. Um, but otherwise, you know, we have a very tight knit uh, paternal family. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, the, the family environment that my dad grew up in. Um, my grandmother, you know, back in that day, 
uh, you know, she was tending to the kids, um, even though she had a college education, which was, you know, fairly rare in, in those days. But, you know, my father was a little bit of a troublemaker. And then his next youngest brother became his partner in crime. And, you know, they, they stayed partners in crime for a long time. My grandfather started a, a miniature giftware company um, back before importing and exporting was a thing and, you know, was on some of those original flights to China that would take a couple days, let alone 12 hours. So he would be gone for a couple months at a time. And, you know, the business eventually grew. My father and my uncle ended up succeeding him in that business for, for a, a period of time. And, you know, there was always just family around. And so family stories around my father growing up, including burning down a neighbor's barn and, and things along those lines were commonplace dinner fodder. My dad, before he went into the family business, ended up uh, working for GE and their human resources department. And this was back in like the, I'm going to say the seventies. Um, and they bounced my father around from uh, city to city for a little while. He was in charge of negotiating deals with the unions at the plants. And one of his stops happened to be in Baltimore, Maryland, where he met my mother. And after six months of them initially dating, GE was getting ready to move my dad again. And my mother said something to the effect of, okay, well, this was either great or we're getting married. And <laughs> they ended up getting married and quickly moved to Atlanta, followed by Milwaukee, and then back to New Jersey when my dad uh, came back to join my uncle and my grandfather in the family business. Um, my folks were married for uh, a good amount of time before they had me. My father was, I want to say, 39 or 40, um, and I was the only blood child. I uh, was born in 1986, so you know, to give a little bit of reference, if they were married in 76, that's 10 years. I guess I already mentioned that. But so I was born an only child. And, you know, I grew up as an only child up until about fourth grade, I went to a, a small private school that attracted a lot of international students. And I guess I had enough of uh, remote control tantrums or whatever, other only children do to drive their parents nuts. And there was a article in the school newspaper that uh, advertised um, that there was a Chinese student that was in his junior year of high school that needed a place to live for about six months. So he moved in with my mother, father, and I, and uh, that six months turned into about 10 years. Um, until wow. he finished his master's and eventually moved back to China. And during that same period of time, um, when I was a freshman in high school, so, you know, about five years later, there was another student at the school from South Korea who had come over, didn't really um, speak a lot of English, but could hit the golf ball about 325 yards off the tee. Um, and so he and I were on the golf team together and 
you know, I came home one night, he was in a, a similar situation where he needed a short term stay. And I said to my folks something along the lines of, well, this is what we do, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of what I grew up knowing, you know, most of my earliest childhood memories, you know, kind of started when my Chinese brother Joe moved into the house. So quickly, Chris moved into the house as well. Um, so there were three, you know, teenage and early 20s boys in the house. Um, I was by far the smallest of the three of us. And they like to remind me of that, you know, as we would roughhouse or whatever. But um, so it was a little bit of the United Nations growing up in my house, which was really cool. You know, even still, you know, to this day, you know, my family has been doing a lot of Zoom calls and my brother, you know, wakes up at, you know, either 7 a.m. or 8 a.m., whatever time we're doing it in China. And he's, you know, sitting there talking to the family. Um, my brother from South Korea, you know, lives about an hour away in North Jersey. And he and his wife have a, a kid not much younger than ours. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of funny how it all kind of stays consistent and um, you know, I know you've mentioned that you kind of grew up in a little bit of a, a diverse household that was, you know, non-traditional. So, you know, when I've heard you talk about that, I can instantly relate because my family was very much not the the status quo. But when you grow up in it, you don't know any different. So mm-hmm. it's not any different, right? Yeah. And that's funny because my sister is from South Korea. It's very similar. And then, you know, once you know, you get past the initial, okay, I got to share the remote control or, you know, whatever other things that you kind of go through growing up with siblings. It's, if you don't know any different, it's exactly what you would imagine having siblings being like. So all of those things around, you know, torturing each other, locking each other in the other's room or trying to scare each other after watching a scary movie together you know, all of those kinds of things were, were common, uh, nonsense going on around my house. It's fun and it, it makes, uh, everything a lot more interesting for sure. Yeah. And how, how did that all, I mean, was that ever kind of a preconceived notion of your parents kind of having this situation play out this way or no? No, not at all. I mean, I, I think, what ended up happening is, you know, as I mentioned, my grandfather was kind of at the forefront of the import and export aspects of business and, you know, spent a lot of time in China. And, you know, my father spent a good amount of time traveling over to China when I was a kid. So there was, you know, a decent amount of just the interest in that culture per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was purely a, a case scenario where I think my father kind of said to himself, huh, maybe I'll get a, a few free months of Chinese lessons. And, you know, I think my folks were both kind of under the impression that I should have at least some type of a sibling experience, mm-hmm. whether or not it was going to be uh, six months or what ended up being 10 plus years. I think it just kind of worked out and they kind of did it on a whim. And, you know, sometimes those decisions that happen on a whim have the most lasting impact. And that's kind of how, you know, my 
family unit kind of just seemed to be. Yeah, that's so cool. So you are talking about your dad. When did he and your mom come together and how did that all play out? Yeah, so so that's that's also kind of a little bit of a funny story. My mom and dad got kind of set up on a blind date at a bowling alley. Mm. My father, I guess, was 27 or 28 at the time. Um, and they went and, you know, I think, you know, funny enough, it's, it, it's kind of around the time that, you know, pocket calculators really started becoming prevalent. Um, and I, I, you know, they told me the story about, you know, you kind of see it in email nowadays where it'd be like, oh, if you add this many years to your age and then subtract, you know, this or that or whatever, they they were just kind of coming on to that. So my father and my mother were playing around with that one night and my dad was doing the, the calculation and it popped up that my mom was 20. So he figured that he had done something wrong and went through it all over again and, and shortly came to realize that my mom was a few years younger than him. Um, but it it was really one of those things where, you know, it, it happened really fast and they got married and, you know, my mom didn't really come from, you know, she was probably coming from a middle-class, lower middle-class household. Um, so college wasn't initially within her sights. Um, but when she met my dad and they got married, they moved to Atlanta and then Milwaukee for a few years. And so she ended up going to school, working at uh, the Miller factory uh, mm. during the day. And, you know, that was at a time she she would tell me that, you know, during lunch break, you know, folks would go into the cafeteria and, you know, beer would be readily available for consumption. Just mm-hmm. there weren't those types of laws yet. And, you know, I'm kind of envious at that. <laughs> that I have on a day-to-day basis, but uh, um, you know, she put herself through school at night. You know, my dad will tell you that he went on a lot of vacations by himself because my mom was in the middle of the semester, and you know, mm-hmm. he had gotten well past that. And then when they moved to Jersey, you know, she went and got her MBA at, at Rutgers. Um, my dad was a, a Rutgers alum, so I think there was some uh, synchronicity there, and. You know, my mom actually became a pretty high-ranking officer at J.P. Morgan in their mortgage banking division um, Mm. for a long time. And so it's kind of funny, you know, my dad was running the family business um, with my uncle and my grandfather, and my mother was this high-powered officer at J.P. Morgan, you know, so for me and you know kind of what that meant was especially early on you know when i grew was growing up i had a, a live-in nanny for a few years and then you know i had nannies after school you know until either my mom or dad came home but it was very common for them to be walking in the door around 7 seven thirty. i you know we'd see each other for an hour or two and go to bed and mm-hmm. you know, and repeat you know one thing that my dad did when I was young was, you know, he coached all of my youth soccer teams. Um, my father will proudly tell you that he is the only division one athlete in the family, but that also happens to be because he played soccer at Rutgers probably, you know, in the early 1960s before soccer was even 
a thing in the States. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so he holds his claim to fame on that, but that's kind of like <laughs> saying that he is the ultimate underwater basket weaving oh. uh, authority on, <laughs> on that. But, um, you know, you know, there's that aspect to it too. And then, you know, I can tell you, you know, my dad being, you know, at the top of his own company, you know, was always at my sporting events growing up, you know, soccer, uh, swimming and golf ended up becoming my rotation in high school. And I can tell you that my father and his mom, my grandmother, uh, were both so loud cheering at my swim meets that, you know, even being a backstroker, I could hear them screaming underwater, which when you're in high school, it's like, oh my God, but you know, yeah. now you kind of have a, a completely different appreciation for it. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That's funny. That's something I haven't really thought about back to that in sports. And, you know, I, I always, I want to watch my kids do all of their different things. My daughter was just about to be in a middle school talent show before this whole thing broke up. That was one of my biggest disappointments of schools being shut down was I was so looking forward to seeing her sing on stage for this talent show. Cause I never get to see her do that. And, um, you know, they are just, that's like the most frightening thing. She would get up in front of thousands of strangers, but singing like, and with me being there is a completely different story. Right. Right. I can tell you being a, you know, a, a high school garage band participant that uh, if she continues along that track, you may woe the day that she wishes for that. <laughs> we, had garage, we had a band practice in my garage in high school for uh, a couple of years. And I can tell you, uh, you could hear us playing, you know, four or five blocks away and you know we we lived in a pretty suburban area so there's a lot of trees and stuff like that and just meant that we had to turn up the amps a little bit louder so yeah (laughs) when we were leading up to having uh our son i had like a bucket list of things that i wanted to do and i kept saying that for years upon years because my wife was very much ready to have kids and i was uh very much not and so mm-hmm. at one point in time, she said, all right, uh, you're either going to cross these things off your list or you're going to have to wait 18 years. So, you know, we had a summer of, you know, going to, I'd always wanted to go to Wrigley Field and we mm. planned it around when the Yankees went and we went to a Sunday night baseball game that lasted 18 innings. Um, oh, God. We, I always wanted to go out to Red Rocks. So I have a fraternity brother that lives in Denver um, and we went and stayed with him and we went to go see Tedeschi Trucks Band uh, out at Red Rocks, which was a great show. Um, I always wanted to go skydiving um, and ended up jumping out of the plane. And then, you know, we did the California coastal trip. My wife and I lived in San Diego uh, my Mm. first year of school and we made our um initial friends as a couple really out there and you know we stayed in touch and one in that summer we did a drive up the coast and you know i played pebble beach um wow played a lot of golf on the the weekends and then that also happened to be the summer of fish's baker dozen 
And, you know, I live right outside of Manhattan. So I ended up going to a, a good chunk of those shows. I oh, wow. Beneficiary of being able to catch New Year's runs and, and stuff like that. So I, I got lucky that summer in terms of crossing things off that I wanted to get done. Wow. You know, it's kind of one of the things where you say, oh, man, I wish I could go back and, and do some of those things. I, I really don't have anything left on my list. Uh, you know, I, I I keep coming up with things, you know, different golf courses that I want to go play and things along those lines. But, you know, that was definitely the, the way to enter fatherhood. And, and when I talk to my friends, you know, about having kids, I definitely tell them, get all of that stuff out of the way because when you get to that point of being faced with, you know, having a, a kid and, you know, you're a couple weeks away from your wife going into labor, all of those things, you know, start playing through your head and you feel a lot better about, you know, knowing that you did them and that you did them while you were young and had the ability to do it as opposed to going and playing Pebble Beach when I'm 85 years old and taking out one of those electric scooters just trying to cross off items on a, a bucket list yeah yeah that's i always talked about that with a couple of my friends who started really early and you know had kids very shortly after even high school and you know i was in my mid-30s when we had our first kid and my friends, a couple of my friends were getting close to the, our kids are about to be in college. And so that vast difference of what is your standpoint on, do you, do you feel better that you did all of this or are about to do all of these things in your early forties, potentially late thirties, and be able to now relax? Or is it better that I got to do all those things before my mid thirties? And now I'm, you know, in my forties changing diapers. So (laughs) we'd never, I think it was always a push. Like, I, I don't know which way is better on that. When did you actually meet your wife? So my wife and I, so it's funny. So Facebook now is like this giant global thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. But when I first got into college, so I graduated with 31 kids. Let me let me start there. I graduated high school with 31 kids. Oh, um, you're just a little below me. I was at, I think I had 42 in my graduating class. Okay. So, so I knew I needed a, a smaller school um, mm-hmm. just in terms of my experience. Uh, thus far. And my wife and I both ended up at a small liberal arts school with a a great business program uh, called Susquehanna University in uh, Pennsylvania. And I go back to the Facebook thing because at that point in time, the only way that you could get a Facebook account was by having a college email address. Mm -hmm. And so it was very common um, to, to jump on, create that account and then try and network with your incoming class before you got there. So I, you know, messaged my future wife way before we even got to college and, you know, it said something to the effect of, Oh, it looks like we like the same music. You know, we chatted before we even got there, but I didn't end up 
dating my wife, you know, we kind of traveled in different circles until the last semester of senior year. Hmm. Um, and I was getting ready to go to law school. I, I knew that as a fact. And, she, you know, we were both coming off of, you know, relationships that probably should have ended much sooner. So we both were very determined not to say or to say that we weren't in a relationship until you get close to the end of that, you know, end of senior year and you're planning what's next. And I knew I was going out to to San Diego um, to start law school. And so I said to her, I said something to the effect of, hey, either this was great or, uh, you know, feel free to move across the country with me. And, you know, she really hadn't dove into what post-college life looked for her. She very much didn't want to leave home, but, you know, it was kind of, I wasn't going to start law school in a long distance relationship. And we talked about a lot and even more and even more. And eventually she said, all right, I'm going to come. And we drove across the country and I did my first year of law school while also uh, going through that initial cohabitation period. My, you know, you got to remember we were only 22, 23 at the time. And my wife was pretty homesick. Um, so I transferred back to uh, Seton Hall while in Jersey. And, you know, we continued living together. And right before the end of graduation from law school, we went back to San Diego on a trip. I had no plans of uh, proposing when we went out there, but there was just something that kind of clicked on a hike on a Torrey Pines coming down towards Mm -hmm. the beach. We got back to our our friend's apartment. I said to my buddy, I'm going to go and buy a fake ring um, at a costume jewelry store, I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> Went, bought, you know, like a fool's gold ring. Uh, we walked up to our first apartment that we lived together. And I said a couple different things that I can't really remember now. Uh, you know, something about losing the forest and the trees. And um, hmm. we got engaged right there in front of our first apartment. I had my grandmother's... Uh, engagement ring stone um to utilize so when we got back i i uh, went with phoebes to figure out what type of style she liked mm-hmm. and uh had a ring made from my grandmother's stone and a family heirloom bracelet with some side stones on it i gave that to her right after my graduation uh, from seton hall and <laughs> it's funny, we were scheduled to be married on the beach in her hometown. And the end of summer, before we were supposed to be married, is when Hurricane Sandy came up and and knocked that sucker over. So we had to kind of plan a whole nother wedding on the fly at the town's historical greens. But it, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. Mm. Um, and so now my wife and I have been you know, married for, uh, seven years, six years. And, you know, we've been together for 11. Um, and our son has been part of it for the last two. Yeah. That's, that's funny. We'll get to your kid. I, I, 
propose to my wife with a uh, costume jewelry ring as well and did the same kind of thing took her and we designed she wanted like a really kind of old-fashioned kind of thing and we ended up like kind of designing her ring and having somebody make something around this diamond that's pretty funny that you ended up kind of doing the same kind of thing now the, the real question is did she have a uh like a green circle around her ring finger like my wife did oh from the ring no mine was <laughs> mine was so cheap it wasn't a fool's fool's gold one it was like a um it was like a joke ring even though it was like god i i think i spent like i don't know 60 bucks on this basically like plastic i'm not complaining about that but it was funny that i even spent 60 dollars on this costume jewelry ring that had like a huge pink diamond on it um it was just like a total joke joke ring and i did that because i want i really wanted her to i knew she had an elaborate plan for her ring that she wanted and i i just didn't want to like go through that process of making it so known and have her be so involved so i just kind of said i'm just going to do this and we'll get your ring made how you want it I, I think that's right. I, I think maybe I should have gone the this at least sixty dollars route because I'd spend about seven and and it took about a solid <laughs> week for for that line to disappear. So you guys were married for five years before well, or somewhere around there before you had your son. What was the lead up to that and was there a lot of like aside from your bucket list, a lot of things that you were trying to get established before you guys brought your son into your family? Yeah. So for me, I was, you know, I, I grew up in a, a house where I was uh, afforded a lot of different opportunities and wanted to be in a place where I could afford those same opportunities for my kid. Um, mm. And you know, I graduated around the worst time you could possibly graduate as a lawyer, you know, just coming out of that recession and the legal market just being really down generally. While undergrad was on my folks, law school was was predominantly uh, on me. And during that mm-hmm. same point in time, right after I finished law school, my wife went and got, so she got her master's um, in social work at night. So, you know, we had those student loans as well. So just trying to get a a little bit established and under our feet in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, the great financial debt of student loans, as well as, you know, just figuring out what life looks like when we're not in school. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my wife and I, you know, when she graduated, had been together for like six or seven years and, at all times during that period, one of us was in school, if not both of us. So, um, you know, just trying to get a little bit of that normal day-to-day life without actually yeah. involved uh, was, you know, something that we were focused on. And then, like I said, I, you know, I, my bucket list was probably some type of metaphor for immaturity, for being ready to be a dad. You know, once I got to the point where we were established and things were a little bit more under control um, in terms of student loans and things like that, you know, we we went ahead and pulled the trigger there. 
That's cool. I, I think there's definitely something to that with going in with no regrets and knowing that you don't have these things that are like open ended. And I think that's obviously different for so many people. And I don't think that there's anything negative for either personality type that is wanting to kind of close the book on those things and being able to say that you, I mean, it says a lot that you were able to do it and as well as that your wife was so supportive of all of it and everything. I think that that's a great way to go into then that completely different adventure of being parents. Yeah, you know, I, I think it definitely took some of the the what do we have left to do? And the other thing that, you know, I think that we're both pretty adamant about is the idea that, you know, both of us have, you know, postgraduate degrees. Um mm-hmm. and setting that example for our kids. So anyway, yeah, so we 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 did the planning and my son was born July in uh, 2018 and you know we we ended up buying uh, our house in October of 2018 and we've been here since and you know somewhere along the way the the concept started coming up I'd say probably at the end of 2019 and at the beginning of 2020 about a a second child and you know there were a lot of things that happened during that you know first 18 months of existence that um you know at some point everybody has this conversation right are we ready for a second kid should we have a second kid what what does that look like for our existing family unit Mm-hmm. you know everybody views family differently if you if you ask my wife you know in her mind our family is not complete and for me coming out of a you know non-traditional family um growing up you know complete is a a little bit of an abstract word you know what does we're not complete really mean. And, you know, when I started thinking about a second kid, there were, you know, things that came into my mind, you know, when my, my wife first uh, attempted breastfeeding, you know, the hospital nurses said that it looked like the latch was good and, and you could see that there was a latch, but our son dropped a, a full pound within like the first two weeks that he was alive and you know when you're born at seven and a half and you drop to six and a half that's that's not great math um yeah and it ultimately kind of revealed itself that um you know she never really fully developed a a full supply and he had a little bit of a tongue tie um which she which my wife you know properly blames on me we were with a lactation consultant and I guess I said a few words that made the lactation consultant determine that I had a tongue tie and that mm. was genetic pass down. And, uh, but there was still the, the bonding aspect of, of breastfeeding, but the first couple of weeks certainly weren't easy. And, 
then my wife started feeling pain in her breast. And, you know, she went to her doctor multiple times and they said, it's nothing, it's nothing. But really what it ended up becoming was undiagnosed mastitis. So she had to have a surgery and they told her, you know, she wasn't going to be able to breastfeed anymore. And she came out of that surgery. It was literally like a a scene out of The Walking Dead. She had this huge chunk just kind of removed from um, her breast from where they uh, did the incision and drained it. And to her credit, you know, she continued along with the breastfeeding, but that along with, you know, just other issues. She definitely had a a good case of undiagnosed postpartum. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot to deal with, you know, in terms of one, you know, just trying to establish what your new normal is as a family when you bring your first child in to begin with. And then secondly, you know, the, the kind of that that takes on that family unit, right? And so that definitely had an impact. And, you know, we, you know, a couple months ago, even last summer, we were definitely starting to return to somewhat of a, a, a regular normal life that we had before. You know, I was playing more golf. She had started doing um, per diem psychotherapy. Um, that gave her, you know, a, a little bit more of, um, I got my MBA and my license for something and I'm actually getting to utilize it now. So the idea of a second kid, right? That, that's a lot. And, you know, one of the initial things that I said to her was, you know, things are going well right now. You know, why, why do we kind of want to mess with that? Yeah, it relates to my relationship with my son. You know, he was falling asleep every night to to waste by fish. The song that made him stop crying all the time was Wolfman's Brother. I'm I'm growing a little fan. And the other thing that was great was his favorite toy as a putter, right? And as a gigantic golfer and fish fan. You know, I'm I'm hitting every stride that I could possibly want to hit as a dad thus far. Um, yeah, and you know the 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 conversation really started going, and you know I I said if we're going to go ahead and do this this second kid thing, I think we just kind of have to get some ducks in a row. You know, it, it's one thing when you are having multiple kids and both parents are around a lot. I'm not one of those dads. I try and make it home for bedtime each night, but that's always kind of a hit or miss depending on what's going on at the office or what's going on in the Lincoln tunnel. And it's very common up until, you know, this pandemic for me to not see him three, four days in a row. Mm -hmm. And, that kind of sucks. And add to that the pressure of having another newborn in the house, right? That that can't be easy. That can't be a stress reducer. It, it completely changes the dynamic of everything that's 
you know, currently enjoyable at the moment. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's a hard conversation. And then, you know, there's the common thoughts with having a kid, you know, that's, uh, another, you know, cost immediately. That's another set of college tuition bills down the line. What does that all look like? And so the, <laughs> the funny part about it all is that life has its own way of suggesting what you're supposed to do next. And as we're having these conversations, you know, sure enough, my wife, who is generally um, very regular, calls me one day as I'm walking over, you know, Madison Avenue over to, to Park Avenue and says, I'm pregnant. And, you know, the first thing I'm thinking is, oh, shit. And the second thing I'm thinking is I got to get out of the road. I'm going to get hit by a taxi. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I did my sprint to the sidewalk and I'm like, well, that's news. Um, it's, it's great news, obviously, but it, it goes along with a lot of the conversations that we've been having, or maybe it just makes all of those conversations a bit moot, right? You know, life kind of has its own way, but look, at the end of the day, I still think it's worthwhile to have some of these conversations that we were having, even though we know where we're ultimately going to wind up, right? Right. So the good news is, you know, I have a a healthy pregnant wife, but, you know, we've been going ahead and starting to take some of those things that concern me. I mean, my marriage is incredibly strong. I think the world of my wife, but postpartum is postpartum and you know mm-hmm. i it it sounds somewhat selfish to say but you know there's multiple people that are impacted by postpartum you know obviously mm-hmm. she's the one that's living it on a day-to-day basis but you know that doesn't mean that there aren't times that i'm going to catch a brunt of that right and yeah. what can we do now to to make it so that, you know, when we get to that step of the the second one coming through, um, what can we do now to kind of prep for that so that any of the hiccups that we may have had the first time, we don't have the second time around. So, you know, one of the things that we've done is we actually found, you know, a therapist that specializes in family work, especially new families or growing families. And we've been kind of talking about, you know, when when we get to that point in time, if we start seeing some of the the signals that a, a similar route is coming, what can we do to address that early? Right. Mm-hmm. And that that's been great. Um, I think it has given me some comfort. It has probably served as a a new lifeline for my wife who you know in the event that she's having br- trouble breastfeeding or in the event that she's you know feeling an extended case of you know quote unquote baby blues you know a place that she can go to kind of talk about those things and you know the other thing is it, it helps our current family unit right when everybody's communicating better the family tends to operate better. And, you know, since we've started doing some of that work, 
you know, I, I can tell that there's a difference. And it also just happens to be coinciding when this pandemic is going on. So a lot of those family type things that we talk about in therapy, it ends up, you know, manifesting itself on a day-to-day basis. We're better about checking in with the other one about, you know, how their day is going, what type of stresses they're dealing with, whether it's me at the office or um, her with our son and um, or her with her current client base. Um, all of those things, you know, tend to come out a little bit more easily and we're able to kind of help as a sounding board for the other. And um, I think that we all tend to feel better even when we're in difficult parenting situations, right? Where maybe our son is throwing food from his high chair and both of us are starting to get stressed out, but we can read each other a little bit better and know Mm -hmm. how to play off the other one. And those are, those are skills that you develop naturally over time as a parent, or at least I believe we all do. But at the same time, it's nice to see that, you know, we figured out how to parent together. And a lot of that foundation obviously comes from the fact that we've been together for 11 years and, you know, have a solid relationship where we kind of know how to read the other signals. But now we figured out how to translate that into parenting. And, you know, for me as a a newer dad and a dad to be two times over, I, I start to get a little bit less apprehensive about having the second one come than I was maybe six months ago. Right. Yeah. You, I mean, a, it sounds like you guys are doing amazing things that, you know, the, the average person is not even considering whether they should or not. But the average person who is going through a second child situation with postpartum in the past is potentially not doing that. And I think part of that may be because of the, I don't know, the feeling bad about that conversation. Because I know that that is not an easy conversation to have. It is not something potentially that every mom who is going through it is wanting to bring up rehash uh, potentially to some not wanting to admit to it its existence at all times and being able to overcome all of those hurdles in order to take those steps that you guys are doing is I don't even know, like tremendous, ridiculous, amazing, like all of those things come to mind because that's just so huge for you guys to make those smart moves that a lot of people aren't making and maybe aren't even thinking like, hey, this might help us to do that. Because when you're a first time parent, you're adjusting on the fly and those things that are becoming uh, skills, kind of like what you were saying makes you maybe a little bit uh maybe makes you feel a little bit like with the second one you're going to be able to do those same things again but not just because 
postpartum is a mental health kind of thing, but talk about it, like reach out about it, do, do whatever you can to, for, for you guys get in front of it and find all those skills that not only she's going to be able to do and you're going to be able to do, but you both are going to tackle together for (laughs) so many, so many reasons, like for her health, for your health, for, uh, your, what will then be a three-year-old's health and for the newborn's health. Like there's so many different people just like what you were saying that are being affected by this that uh that's i I can't high five you guys enough and not just because we list live cross country but that's just so awesome that you guys are doing that we started having this conversation tim obviously before you know phoebes ended up becoming pregnant and you know part of this the idea of doing this podcast was to kind of serve as a little bit of a resource to others who may be having, you know, ideas about having a second kid and, and, you know, some of the, it's not a light decision. It shouldn't be a light decision, but going through those steps of, you know, taking into consideration everything that's going on in your life presently and what you think is going to be coming down the pike. I can tell you that, you know, my wife is a trained psychotherapist, right? And Mm -hmm. as we're going through, you know, the initial parenting of our son, and I suggested to her on multiple occasions, hey, it, it seems like you might be struggling a bit to somebody that that is my wife's skill set. And, you know, she, it's not an easy thing to admit. It's not mm-hmm. something that a parent wants to admit. Obviously, having a kid is hard and it's completely different than the, the lifestyle you and your partner may be living in before um, you have that kid. But, you know, trying to have those conversations isn't always easy and it's yeah not always fun so for us going through this now that my wife is pregnant again and that we want to make sure that we have a, a positive experience for everybody in our family going through these conversations aren't easy but it, it's something that we wanted to do because we've always been a strong couple and if we're going to add a new quote-unquote stressor but you know gift to life then then let's build additional skill sets to support that stress so that we can enjoy the gift of it right oh man (laughs) i i just i think about it touches on so many things you know my wife went through some extent of that she had a massive struggle with my daughter with breastfeeding same thing like my daughter lost weight off the bat like she really was super skinny at at what was our first month even and the weight loss was significant to the point where you know we wanted to do what we wanted to do and it got to the point where our doctor who's known my wife for a really long time was like you're you're going to need to go have these and you're going to need to supplement with uh formula whether that was in your plan or not and 
you know, then my daughter like ballooned up and became the freaking Michelin baby, which was fantastic. But you have to do those things as a parent where you are changing plans, recognizing things and being able to unfortunately not admit defeat, but admit that it's time to do something, try something. And I think, you know, here we are two men talking about postpartum and how that is for the, the moms to some extent. But if you think about all the changes that they are going through chemically and physically and emotionally and God, like what the innate instincts that are kicking in and driving them so hard at that time of you know, even leading up to the birth and birth and post birth and all of those thoughts. Like I can't, I cannot imagine the strength that women have off the bat to go through all of that to any extent. So, you know, I I think more episodes than not are having me like praising women and moms for what they do. So yeah, I, I can't imagine the the I, I remember uh, to some extent have trying to have that conversation while that is going on and that's nearly impossible. So doing what you guys are to get in front of it and create that recognition early is huge. Yeah, and, and look, at the end of the day, what both of us are trying to do is create the best life that we possibly can for our kids and Mm-hmm. A lot of that feeds off of our own happiness, right? If our kids see that we are happy, there's a good chance that they're going to mimic those types of behaviors. And and so trying to figure out how we can be the, the best parents that we can while enjoying it is is critical to that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I can remember being in my office on Park Avenue, right? And I'm getting a stream of text messages. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. You know, I get nothing. And, you know, one, there's the the helplessness of even in my best case scenario, I'm not going to be able to get home and help for an hour and a half, an hour, minutes, right? But there's also the you have to kind of help um, yourself sometimes and, and help your partner remember that everybody's feeding off of the other's energy. Um, mm-hmm. And the best situation that we can create is one where we're enjoying being parents and they're enjoying being our kids. And I think that's ultimately, you know, what, what we're all trying to do. Yeah. Finding that sweet spot is, I mean, finding the sweet spot is the sweet spot. Like being able to do that is golden and as tough as it can be at times, you know, the partnership is so important. And, you know, I I know a few single moms, one specifically my friend Natasha, who is a single mom who has twins who is doing this like completely on her own. And I am constantly in awe of how in the hell she is doing any of that. Um, her little girls are a little over one now. 
and you know thinking about the importance of that of two people being able to help one another and being able to tap out have somebody else tap in you find your zen place or your quiet spot or take a friggin power nap because of how important sleep is when you have little kids is just so huge so yeah it's it you guys are you guys are ahead of the game and, and look there's no perfect science to this i can tell you that you know going into parenting my wife was not a big fish fan um mm-hmm. at all i kind of you know, remind her from time to time that maybe she should send a Christmas card to Trey or even <laughs> Tom, um, you know, for writing waste or, or Wolfman's brother, because those things, you know, help, you know, once you, in, in, if you can start to share those things that make you happy and it makes the kids happy and mm-hmm. it makes ultimately, you know, reverse engineers itself in, if the kids are happy, the parents become happy again. Yeah. You know, all of those things make a difference. You know, one of the things that we did last summer was we put a a little artificial putting green in our backyard. And, you know, there's nothing that makes me happier in my current state than, you know, in this pandemic life that we're living in. I'm working in my office in my basement and I can hear my wife and my son playing out on mm. that little practice screen that we created because it's his favorite thing to do in the world. That's um, awesome. And now he's starting to to sing the the me part of come waste your time with me, right? Oh boy. Just wait, Matt. Oh my God, you are in for when when all those things start getting a little bit bigger steps. It's, yeah, those are those moments that parents always tell non-parents about. Well, I don't say always, but when you're on the verge, you hear a lot of that like, oh, just wait, wait for this. And those things that completely rock your world, that's the golf version of, do you want to have a catch from Field of Dreams? Right. hundred (laughs) percent. Every time I go upstairs right now, it, 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 I created my best case scenario. Every time I go upstairs right now to get a, a new cup of coffee or something like that, he bolts towards the basement door with his putter in his hand saying, Dada, Dada, ball. And, and, <laughs> you know, like you can't, you can't beat that. And, you know, yeah. when, as I'm thinking about number two coming in, you know, there, there's nothing more that I want to do than replicate that. And if we can make it even better, then that's, that's what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. It's those little tiny little things that sometimes is it literally will just be one thing out of all the things that they're interested in. Like my daughter, she's very much like me, but she really enjoys she gets a kick, which is, again, another thing like me of she gets a kick out of not enjoying what i enjoy so like you like this music i don't like that music you like this i don't like that but the things that we are simpatico on are so strong and bring me so much of that warm happiness that 
even if it is only that one thing or whatever over the course of her lifetime, like I will crawl up into a ball and sleep happily within that one thing's shade. And, you know, it all to, to kind of bring it full circle to where we started, you know, I can remember, I guess I was maybe in middle school, we went down, my mom, dad, and I, it was just the three of us, to Orlando for, for spring break. And we brought our golf clubs and we got to the hotel, we checked in and, you know, we said, okay, so what are we going to do? And I said, well, we're, we're here in Florida in the middle of spring, aren't we going to go play golf? And, you know, for my dad, that was kind of his curl up in a ball type moment, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you, you start to share things with your kids and they love it and you love it. And, you know, at some point all three of us are going to be out on the golf course. And it's funny, my dad and I have a very similar personality and, you know, he and I are are great friends beyond, you know, just being father, son. Mm -hmm. And to kind of see all of that trickle down and, you know, for him, I, I hope that it's something that he enjoys seeing. And, you know, for me, it's it's something that I hope to see myself that one day, you know, my son or, you know, our number two is passing a, a putter down as their first big Christmas gift. And, you know, everybody's just partaking in it. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, Matt, I appreciate all of that. I seriously, like, cannot commend you and your wife enough like i don't know if you're where you are in your house but make sure after this you tell her that tim said you guys are doing fantastic things i certainly will i I think i surprised her one day when i came home and said that uh i've been listening to a dad podcast that i like a lot (laughs) and uh i'm thinking about reaching out about you know some of the second kid conversations that were happening and uh you know, I think that she appreciates the fact that, you know, there's somebody like you out there doing this that can serve as a platform for all dads across the place. So kudos. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm very happy that you, that you reached out. It was almost, (laughs) it kind of made me chuckle when we were going from the, Hey, we're going to talk about this to, uh, guess what? We are pregnant now. So I think still a completely massively valid conversation and um, it definitely still touched on all those things that people should be putting into their brain place to some extent, whether they are about to have their first or about to have their fourth, like the, the preparation is still important. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing all of this uh, very important and these honest stories to our listeners and uh, i really do appreciate you reaching out happy to do it it was a this was a good conversation to have okay and that is it that is the end of my conversation with matt darwin i hope you guys not only enjoyed that conversation, but that you did get something out of the ideas that he was bringing to the table. And the fact that this is a very like 
tenuous thing that we are all embarking on when we are bringing a new life into the world. And the true idea that that does affect a great number of people and there's so much involved in that and it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's physical, it's chemical, like all of the changes that are going on within the mom herself, but also within the family unit and what that extends out to. So I hope that you guys got something out of that. If you have any input, make sure you let us know all over social media. Everything is Daddy Unscripted. That's on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Again, you can send me emails to daddyunscripted at gmail.com. I'm so glad that Matt reached out to me. And again, to any of you listeners who think you have a story to tell, a unique story to tell, and something that will bring something to at least one other person out there, it is worth you telling that story. If you are helping just one person out, it is absolutely freaking worth it. So contact me and we will make that happen, okay? Check out all of those different things that I told you about, osirispod.com to find the other Osiris Media podcasts. Go to jambase.com if you are hankering some good music to listen to. You can find out where to be able to live stream things or find more music news, jambase.com. If you want to get in on that fabulous offer from Harry's Razors that is going on for my listeners, again, you want to go to harrys.com backslash daddy and if you want to assist and check into backline the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub go to backline.care big thanks as always to umphreys mcgee for their awesome music that is playing all over this podcast that you can kind of hear right now i'm so happy that they're a part of this and that they enabled and allowed me to use their music on the podcast so check them out at umfreeze.com. They are doing streaming things. You can find out about that on their site and through their Twitter and on their Instagram, any of the places, Umfreeze McGee, check them out. And you guys, thanks again for your participation. I will say this right here. I am trying to include this in every episode. It is a very weird time right now. For some, it is a heavy time. If you are struggling right now, in a way that maybe feels like, again, going to what Matt was saying, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to get ahead of this. Like I said in my suicide episode, you do not have to wait until your feet and toes are hanging off the edge to get ahead of what might be a very dark time for you. So I will give you these phone numbers. If you are struggling, if you need to talk to somebody The National Suicide Prevention Hotline phone number is 800-273-8255. And I have a Google Voice number. Any of you can use it at any time. Leave me a message. If you want to talk, leave me your number somehow and we can talk. Or if you just need somebody to vent to, to say a bunch of stuff that nobody's going to do anything with ever, use that number. Like, I am very happy to provide that service to you. Sometimes it just helps to say things and hear yourself say them. So my number is 872-444-6784. And with all of that said, I love you guys, each and every one of you, any of you that are listening. And yes, it's okay to say that. Man hugs, okay? Air man hugs. 
I, I don't, I guess I'm maybe too sensitive of a dude, but I, I miss hugging. I really do. Um, so consider all of you at least high fived or like shoulder squeezed by me mentally. And the next episode should be out in like two to three weeks from now. Now that I have said all of that, I am going to, as I greeted you in Welsh, I'm now going to say goodbye to you in Welsh by saying, Yechid da, which is normally a cheers to good health that you do that you do while you're clinking glasses, and all of that means so much right now because we need to raise a glass to one another, whatever it may be filled with, and we should absolutely be saying good health to all of us. So take that away from from this episode. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your families and your friends. Reach out to some people and see how they're doing. This is a great time for that, better than ever. The next episode should be out in a couple of weeks. And maybe go wash your hands or something right now. Thanks a lot, you guys. Mm -hmm.